0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the April 29th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez with Floyd, Skarin & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Before I get started, I would like to thank Lee for all of the support and guidance uh, throughout my broadcasting career. Thank you, Lee. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal overturned the WCAB finding of injury in a psychiatric injury case. Here's what happened in the published decision of County of Sacramento versus WCAB and Michael Brooks. Brooks started working as a supervising probation officer at the County of Sacramento's Juvenile Hall in 2007. He was apprised of a pending lawsuit alleging use of excessive force by his fellow officers. In November 2007, Brooks counseled two of the Security Emergency Response Team, or CERT officers, as a result of an incident with a ward. Brooks informed his supervisor that his CERT officers resisted his instructions concerning restraining and movement of wards. Later he was given him a memo entitled, Admonition and Notice of Internal Affairs Investigation. The memo advised Brooks of the allegations by a CERT member which formed the basis of the Internal Affairs Investigation against him, and he was directed to refrain from contact with the complaining officer pending the investigation. Brooks believed that these directives were unreasonable when it was his job to supervise the cert team. He asked to be reassigned or placed on administrative leave pending completion of the investigation, but his requests were denied. Brooks did not feel that the chiefs listened to his concerns or provided a reasonable alternative. However, The employer allowed Brooks to change his shifts to reduce contact with the complaining officer. Brooks became too upset to work and filed a workers' compensation psychiatric injury claim, which the employer denied. The defense of the claim involved the Good Faith Personnel Action Defense. Psychiatrist Ann Allen, MD, acted as the agreed medical evaluator. Dr. Allen reported that this disorder was caused by the co-worker's complaint, the internal affairs investigation, and Brooks's feelings that his supervisors were not supporting him. Based upon her report, the WJC found an industrial injury. Ultimately, the WCAB affirmed the WCJ's decision with one dissenting commissioner. The employer appealed and the Court of Appeal reversed the finding of injury in the published decision. The Court of Appeal found that the AME's report and testimony did not constitute substantial evidence. The Legislature's expressed intent in enacting Labor Code Section 3208.3 was to establish a new and higher threshold for compensability for psychiatric injury. To further this more restrictive policy, the Code provides that no compensation shall be paid for a psychiatric injury if the injury was caused substantially by a lawful, non-discriminatory, good-faith personnel action. The personnel action has been defined as conduct attributable to management in managing its business, including such things as reviewing, criticizing, demoting, transferring, or disciplining an employee. An employer's disciplinary actions, short of termination, may be considered personnel actions even if they are harsh and if the actions were not so clearly out of proportion to the employee's deficiencies so that no reasonable manager could have imposed such discipline. The reports of the AME, when taken as a whole, were so confusing and changing that they cannot support the Board's conclusions that personnel actions were not a substantial cause of Brooks's injury. Therefore, the the Board was annulled and remanded for further proceedings. A new WCAB panel decision says that the lien activation fee is not required for a 2013 lien trial. Here's what happened in the significant panel decision of Maria Elena Mendez versus Lechef Bakery and Pacific Compensation Insurance. Mendez settled her claim against the employer by a compromise and release in 2010. In April 2012, Dr. Ptolemy filed a medical legal lien claim and concurrently filed a DOR requesting a lien conference. A lien conference was held in June and July 2012. The parties filed a pre-trial conference statement and the case was scheduled for a December 2012 trial, which was continued to January 2013. Dr. Ptolemy did not pay a lien activation fee prior to the January 3, 2013 lien trial. The WCJ concluded that a lien claimant must pay an activation fee whenever it uses a WCAB to collect on its lien, regardless of whether the first appearance in 2013 is at a lien conference or a lien trial. Therefore, the WCAG, the WCJ dismissed the doctor's lien with prejudice for failure to pay the activation fee. The WCAB, in a significant panel decision, reversed the dismissal. Payment of a lien activation fee was not required with a DOR filed prior to January 1st or at a lien conference held prior to January 1st, 2013. This is because Labor Code Section 4903.6 was not effective until that date. Therefore, the doctor was not required to pay a lien activation fee based on his 2012 DOR or based on the 2012 lean conferences. Under the WCAB rules, there was a clear and unambiguous distinction between a lean conference and a lean trial. However, the WCAB emphasized that if the doctor's pre 2013 DOR had triggered a lean conference rather than a lean trial, in 2013, he would have been required to pay the activation fee. The prior WCAB decision in the Orthomed lien dismissal case has been elevated to an in-bank decision. Early this month, an appeals board significant panel decision held that if the lien claimant fails to pay the lien activation fee prior to the commencement of a lien conference, its lien must be dismissed with prejudice, and a breach of a defendant's duty to serve required documents or to engage in settlement negotiations does not excuse a lien claimant's obligation to pay the fee. Also, a notice of intention is not required prior to dismissing a lien for failure to pay the lien activation fee. The prior significant panel decision in this case was not finding precedent on workers' compensation judges. Thus, the appeals board voted to grant reconsideration of the April 5th significant panel decision and the chairwoman of the Appeals Board upon a majority vote of its members reassigned this case to the Appeals Board as a whole for an in-bank decision. Thus, the W.C.A.B. sitting in-bank issue, the new in-bank decision in the case of Eliza Figueroa versus BC Doring Company and Employers Compensation Insurance Company that essentially reiterated the prior result. Now that the decision is in-bank, it is binding authority in all trial-level cases. Former Orange County Sheriff Mike Corona, who is serving a 66-month term in federal prison for public corruption, has settled two workers' compensation cases against Orange County for more than $37,000. The lower back, hip, and leg injury claim stems from a 2006 on-duty car accident. Corona was a passenger in an unmarked department vehicle that rear ended another car, causing the injuries. Corona's driver and the driver of the other car were not injured. But Corona filed a workers' compensation claim for his back pain at the time, and it was accepted. Corona resigned from office after nine years in January 2008 to focus on his federal public corruption trial. He was convicted in 2009 of federal witness tampering and sentenced to 66 months in prison. He was acquitted on five other charges, including conspiracy, three charges of mail fraud, and one additional count of witness tampering. He was ultimately convicted and sentenced to five and a half years in prison, and a fine of $125,000. A doctor examined Corona before he reported to a Colorado federal prison, prison in 2011 and determined he suffered permanent injuries from the collision. Last year, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to review Corona's appeal of his criminal conviction. And now, our fraud report. Drug maker Novartis has been sued again for illegal kickbacks. The U.S. government filed a civil fraud lawsuit accusing the Swiss drug maker of causing federal programs to pay tens of millions of dollars in reimbursements based on fraudulent kickbacks tainted claims. The US attorney said that Novartis Pharmaceuticals had since 2005 induced at least 20 pharmacies to switch thousands of kidney transplant patients to its immunosuppressant drug Myfortic in exchange for kickbacks disguised as rebates and discounts. Officials said Novartis tried to conceal the scheme by omitting the agreements from rebate and discount contract with pharmacies. In one alleged case, Novartis offered a Los Angeles pharmacist a bonus rebate of 5% of that pharmacist's annual myofortic sales, or several hundred thousand dollars, to switch as many as 1,000 patients to Myfortic. The lawsuit seeks civil penalties and triple damages from Novartis. A spokeswoman says that Novartis disputes the claims and will defend itself. U.S. attorneys labeled Novartis a repeat offender and referring to settlement of health care fraud charges based on kickbacks less than three years ago. Back in 2010, Novartis agreed to pay about $420 million to resolve criminal and civil liability over its marketing of several other drugs. The federal anti-kickback statute prohibits paying people to buy drugs or services that Medicare, Medicaid, or other federal Healthcare programs cover. Federal officials announced that a former owner of a Los Angeles area medical equipment supply company pleaded guilty to conspiring with others to defraud Medicare. 37 year old Tigran Akleon of Van Nuys pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud. Akleon was the owner and president of Las Tunas Medical Equipment Incorporated, a durable medical equipment supply company located in San Gabriel. Aklion admitted that he conspired with others to commit healthcare fraud by providing medically unnecessary power wheelchairs and other DME to Medicare beneficiaries and submitting false and fraudulent claims to Medicare. Acleon also admitted that he paid the owners and operators of fraudulent medical clinics to provide him with prescriptions and supporting medical documentation. Las Tunas submitted about $900,000 in fraudulent claims. Aklion faces a maximum penalty of 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. The Medicare Fraud Strike Force is now operating in nine cities across the country, more than 100000 400 defendants have been prosecuted who have collectively billed the Medicare program for more than 4.8 billion dollars. It's a lot. And in regulatory news, professional sports leagues scored big in a crucial first vote by state lawmakers to limit the ability of out-of-state players to file for workers' compensation benefits in California. A bill backed by the owners of 16 California teams, including basketball's Los Angeles Lakers, baseball's Dodgers, hockey's Kings, and soccer's galaxies, Galaxy, <laughs> passed out of the Assembly Insurance Committee with a unanimous 11-0 to 0 vote over objections from players and labor unions. Go Lakers! The measure now heads to the full assembly for debate and a vote. Team owners claim that out-of-state athletes who may have played only a few games in California are taking advantage of the state's workers' compensation law. California has become a magnet for such claims. Many of the claims are filed years after a player retires because of California workers' compensation judges' liberal interpretation of the statute of limitations. Claims filed by the athletes from teams outside California have grown exponentially since the mid-2000s and are clogging up some local dockets. A study commissioned by the professional sports leagues estimated that the out-of-state players' claims could cause a 1.3% rise in California workers' compensation premiums across the board. Some labor leaders fear the bill could set a dangerous precedent. The worry is that it could be extended to truck drivers, salespeople, and other others whose job takes them to California and other states. The DIR Office of Self-Insured Plans proposes changes to self-insurance plan regulations to implement SB 863. These regulatory changes were adopted on an emergency basis effective January 1st and and are currently in effect in substantially similar form to these final proposed regulations. Every employer in California, except the state, is required to secure the payment of workers' compensation either by insured or by securing a Certificate of Consent to self-insure. SB 863 changes the manner in which security deposits are calculated. A self-insurer are now required to obtain a written actuarial report that projects ultimate liabilities of the private self-insured employer, to ensure that all claims and associated costs are recognized. The actuarial report shall be prepared by an actuary meeting, the qualifications prescribed by the director in regulation. Any, interest, any interested person may submit written comments relevant to the proposed regulatory action to the department. And in financial news... A new WCRI study says that substantial workers' compensation rule changes in California are likely to affect the price and utilization of medical care by most types of providers. The study is meant to provide a baseline for monitoring the impact of California reforms in SB 863. In general, the new legislation seeks to increase benefits to workers, especially those on long-term disability, by 30% paying for it by imposing certain reforms. According to WCRI, the potential impact could include an increase in prices paid for primary care and a decrease in prices paid for specialty services. It also projects a decrease in payments for ambulatory surgical care services, changes in utilization of different types of services, lower medical legal expenses, faster dispute resolution, and more timely medical treatment. The DWC says it has received complaints regarding claims administrators who do not accept electronic bills from medical providers, and now the DWC audit unit has begun investigating claims administrators to determine if they accept electronic transmissions of medical bills. Provisions relating to electronic medical bills became effective October 18, 2012. By statute, claims administrators are required to accept electronic bills and may develop their own capacity to accept e-bills or may contract with a vendor to perform the function. Participation in e-billing is optional for medical providers. Claims administrators who do not comply with the e-billing regulations will be subject to assessment, including civil penalties. The electronic billing rules are available on DWC website. Claims administrators may wish to consult one or more of the service providers who have elected to be listed on the DWC website. Other companies not listed may be equally capable of providing electronic bill processing services or products. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for WorkConf Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skerrin & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.